Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you just stumbled across this video, I hope that you find real help today from the scriptures. We're in a series in the Gospel of John entitled, Life Full and Unending. And we're looking at some of Jesus's most famous promises. And today we consider how Jesus deals with the insecurities that we can all feel. And as you know, the insecurities can start young. Author Terry Wardle talks about where his began. He had a beat up girl's bike that was handed down to him by his sister. When his mom finally decided he was old enough to venture out beyond his neighborhood, he set out for the other side of the creek that ran near his home. A small single lane bridge crossed over the creek, but as he approached the other side, four teenage boys stepped out to block his way. As Terry tried to pass, one of them grabbed his handlebars and stopped him. He shouted, where do you think you're going? And it was clear they intended to beat him up. He was terrified. And they were so much bigger than, than he was that there wasn't any hope of him getting away. One of them asked him his name. <laughs> when he squeaked out a high-pitched, Terry Wardle, they looked at each other nervously. Are you related to Tom Wardle? Tom was his much older cousin who played defensive end on the high school football team. Terry decided to lie and tell him that he was his brother. Immediately, they backed off. We were just messing around, kid. Don't worry, you're a good guy. If anyone ever gives you trouble, we'll take care of you. Reflecting on that moment, Terry said it was formative for him. He said that he learned that simply being himself wasn't enough to be respected, accepted, or safe. If he was going to be secure in life, he would have to pretend to be someone he wasn't. I don't know what you feel when you hear that, but I feel as if I've experienced that same thing. I think I learned early on to guard the persona that I projected and work for my acceptance and security. Whether it was to be accepted by a group of people or to get a girl to like me, I felt I needed to pretend to be someone that I wasn't. But underneath all of it was this longing to be safe, to feel secure. Ever feel like that? The problem, of course, is that pretending to be someone you're not is draining, and it only makes the acceptance and security you achieve more unstable. Today, I want to look with, look with you at how to experience security in Jesus, to see how the eternal promises of protection in him can give us confidence without the masks. To see that, I'd ask you to turn with me to John's Gospel, at chapter 10, and I'll read from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll start reading at John 10, verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father 
are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is the word of God. Now, the first thing I learn here about the security of Jesus is to deal with the obstacles that keep me from it. Jesus wants us to feel safe, but safe without pretending that we're someone that we're not. Often, though, there are preconceptions that keep us from it. Confronting those is key. Deal with the obstacles that keep you from the security of Jesus. Now, today's passage is an interesting one because it's the only direct reference to Hanukkah in the Bible. In verse 22, Jesus is walking in the temple at the time of the Feast of Dedication. Hanukkah is a Hebrew word for dedication, and this feast of dedication is simply the feast of Hanukkah. The rededication of the temple that was celebrated after it was desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC. He had marched into the temple, set up a statue of Zeus, and sacrificed a pig on the altar with the aim of transforming Jewish religion and making it more acceptable to Greek culture. This set off a revolt among the Jews, and Hanukkah celebrates their victory and the consecration of their temple. Now, as Jesus walked in the colonnade, he was surrounded by Jews demanding answers. So, in verse 24, they say, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, a lot of people complain that the Bible isn't clear enough. And there's no question that some of it is very confusing. But the basic message is so simple that even a child can understand it. In Japan, when I'd share the gospel, almost inevitably there would come a point where the person would sigh <laughs> and they would say, Muzukashi, which means difficult. It wasn't so much that the message was hard to understand, it was more that it was hard to accept. And that's what's going on with the people surrounding Jesus in this passage. In verse, 20, in verse 25, it says, I told you and you do not believe. Now, he hadn't told them that I am the Christ or I am the Messiah, at least not publicly in so many words. That word came with many political connotations that Jesus was careful to avoid. In fact, that was probably why they wanted him to say it plain, plainly, so they'd have it as a soundbite to use as an excuse to arrest him. 
We know that because when he does speak more plainly later in the passage, verse 31 shows them picking up stones to try and stone him. And in verse 39, they try to arrest him. So what you see is that there are people who never experience the security that Jesus offers because there are preconceptions about what, is, what God is like that keep them from ever really hearing Jesus on his own terms or trusting what he says. And you can't read a passage like this without asking, is that what I'm doing? Is the problem less that Jesus' message isn't clear and more that I'm not willing to really listen to him? In the case of the people in this passage, they've resisted the security they could have in Jesus because they were clinging to the security of their traditions. They chose the security of the familiar over the security of Jesus. They chose the security of what I know and what I've always, always done over the security of what he offered. I want to warn you how dangerous that is. When you're unwilling to examine your traditions, you become trapped by them. If you're never willing to step away from your traditions, then you become a slave to them and you forfeit the security that, that you could have in Jesus Christ. I don't want that for any of you listening today. And yet I don't think that anyone should blindly step away from what they know. You need to follow the evidence. Examine Jesus' life and claims. So let's turn there now because it's the second way that this passage shows us how we can experience the security that Jesus offers. Accept the evidence that points you to the security of Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Son of God, and yet even he didn't expect people to just take his word for it. When he sees some in, the, some in the crowd are struggling to believe, he says in verse 25, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. The miracles that Jesus did were so unmistakable that anyone trying to make an open, objective assessment couldn't help but conclude that he was who he said he was. But many people aren't open and they aren't objective. And that's the point of, of him saying, you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. The point is that their loyalties lie elsewhere. They're committed to another kind of flock. And he's not just saying, hey, whatever works for you, maybe this just isn't your thing. It's an indictment. Because if the only true God comes to rescue you and he gives you evidence to persuade you to believe and you resist him, what does that say about you? Hear Jesus' plea in verses 37 and 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He realizes that the claim he makes to be God and Savior is incredible, hard to believe. He doesn't expect people to believe it just because he says it. But how can you honestly examine his miracles, his teachings, his character, and his sacrifice and come to the conclusion he was just a good teacher who was a little misguided? How is that possible? Now, maybe you're like John the Baptist. He went through a period of his life where things weren't turning out the way he'd hoped. He became a target for the authorities and found himself in jail. 
And he doubted Jesus because he figured, if Jesus is the Savior, then my life should feel more saved. I shouldn't have these kinds of problems. But you don't make an assessment of who Jesus is based on what's happening in your life. In Luke 7.22, Jesus sends John a message. It says this, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. How do you explain those things? I think we have a tendency to think, well, that was so long ago that people could have just made up those stories. But the Gospels give us eyewitness accounts, and they're written close enough to the events that they record that people would reject them if they didn't correspond to reality. Let Jesus' life and miracles point you to the security that there is in him. But let the scriptures point you there as well. When the Jews objected to Jesus' claim to be God in verse 33, Jesus points them to the Bible. He quotes from Psalm 82.6, where God speaks of human leaders as gods. Jesus' point isn't that we're all gods, but that if the Hebrew scriptures can use the word God to describe God's human representatives, how much more appropriate is it for the one who truly is the Son of God? Jesus is forcing the crowd to examine their preconceptions in light of scripture. And I want to urge you to consider whether you've done the same. Today, some people take Jesus' claims to be God and they say things like, maybe he was just saying, I'm a son of God in the sense that we're all his children. Nothing more than that. But Jesus would call you to go to scripture. Take the disciples, for example. Matthew 14, 33 records their reaction when they saw Jesus walk on the water and calm the storm. It says, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. They're not saying, hey, that was really cool. You must be a child of God like all of us. They recognized Jesus' utter uniqueness, and they worshipped him. Jews wouldn't do that to anyone other than God. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. But there are so many other scriptures you need to let influence how you view Jesus. Isaiah 9-6 is another example. That's the great Old Testament prophecy of a coming child that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How do you explain a prophecy of a child who would be born and called mighty God? If Jesus hasn't convinced you that he's the one to whom this prophecy points, then who is it talking about? And if you try to say, oh, the Christians have corrupted the Bible over the years, remember that this is in the Jewish scriptures, and they have every reason to avoid a prophecy that seems to directly dis describe all that the New Testament reveals about Jesus. What do you do with that? Accept the evidence that points you to the security of Jesus. But what is this security? What is this security that the evidence of the scriptures and the life of Jesus points us to? What kind of security did Jesus promise? And how can it make a difference 
in the lives of people like Terry Wardle and the rest of us. Look with, look with me at verses 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. After describing his followers as those who hear him, know him and follow him, he says, I give them eternal life. Some of you know that in Greek, there are two words for life, and they're important to understanding Jesus's promise here. One word that gets translated as life is the Greek word bios. We get the word biology from that. Bios is what you have if you've got a pulse. You'd use it in a medical setting if someone had vital signs. That's not the word Jesus uses here. He uses the word zoe. It describes a quality of life, a fullness of life. Zoe is what makes life worth living. And Jesus is saying, I give my followers a rich, full life that will last for eternity. In case we didn't understand the word eternal, he adds, and they will never perish. Again, the perishing or dying here isn't talking about bios life. Jesus' followers still die, but the fullness of life that he gives us never ends. For his sheep, death in this world just becomes a door to even greater fullness of life in the next. Then he says that no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is vowing to hold on to each of his sheep in an invincible divine grip. Now, it's been more than a year since I've experienced one of these, so my, the joints in my hand have largely recovered, but any guy who's been to Grace has probably been welcomed by Gord and his death grip handshake. <laughs> it's enough to cut off the circulation in your hand. But with enough training and effort, someone could probably pull you loose. That's not the case with Jesus's grip, though. He vows to guard and protect his sheep so that no one snatches them away. The fullness of life where you're alive to God and his blessings on you is never in jeopardy. It's eternal, but it starts the moment you turn to him in faith. Terry Wardle's buddy, bullies can't steal it away. The disapproval and rejection of your peers can't detract from it. Neither sickness, nor death, nor your own failings can pull you from Jesus's loving grip. He holds you secure. But there's more than that. In verse 29, Jesus says something unusual. He says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Pretend this is the shell game, and try to keep track of the shell, or in this case, the sheep. Jesus says that his father has given, has given uh, them, that is, the sheep to him. So God the Father gives the sheep to God the Son. And Jesus has just talked about how no one can snatch them out of his hand. But then he says that no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. <laughs> Wait a second. Didn't Jesus just say that the sheep had been given into his hand? How is it they're in the Father's hand again now? And how is that possible when neither of them ever released their grip? The answer comes in verse 30. I and the Father are one. The wording is deliberate. 
Jesus intentionally quotes and rewards one of the most famous verses in all Judaism. It's a scripture that's inside the mezuzah on the doorframe of most Jewish houses. It comes from Deuteronomy 6.4, which reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus clarifies it. Yes, the Lord is one, but he says, I and the Father are one. It's the divine math of the Trinity. And the point is that Jesus and the Father hold the sheep secure in a unified grip. There are two persons, but one being. Together with the Holy Spirit, they make up the triune Godhead. And in this divine grip, there is security, love, acceptance, and fullness of life this world doesn't understand. It's popular today for people to advertise their deconstruction stories. They talk about how they've walked away from the church and walked away from their faith. But you can't walk away from something that lasts for eternity. You can't bring an end to something that's endless. You can't fall out of the grip of someone who loves you enough to keep holding on. But the thing is, these promises aren't made to churchgoers. They're not made to people who call themselves Christians. They're not made to people who have just prayed the prayer. They're made, according to verse 27, to Jesus' sheep. And they're the ones who hear his voice, who know him personally, and who follow him. If someone walks away forever, it's not because God let go. It's because they were never his sheep in the first place. And so I want to urge you to examine your life. Are you certain that you're one of the sheep? Do you know that you know him? Are you confident that you're one of those ones who listen to his voice and follow? And if you are, do you find your security in the shepherd's loving hand, in the security of eternal life, and the unchanging acceptance and love of Jesus? Because even among Jesus' sheep, many people never make the connection between the security that Jesus offers and the security that we all crave. So instead of seeking their security in him, they look for it in other people. Taylor Swift talked recently about how devastated she was by her public falling out with Kanye West back in 2016. It was almost impossible for her to come out of it because she said, we're the people who got into this line of work because we wanted people to like us, because we're intrinsically insecure, because we like the sound of people clapping, because it made us forget how much we feel like we're not good enough. If you seek your security in people, you will always ride this roller coaster of approval and disapproval and fear of disapproval. But if you seek your security in the divine grip of the triune God, if you keep your eyes on the shepherd, if you rest in his promise of life full and unending, and if you know that he'll never let you go, then you'll know real security. Jesus is more powerful than Terry Wardle's older cousin. His approval means more than Taylor Swift's sometimes adoring followers. And when you hear his voice and follow where he leads, you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. He loves and accepts you as you are, even as he helps transform you into all that you can be.
In the care of the good shepherd, you can know rest for your soul. So seek it in him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we feel with Carrie Wardle that sense that when we seek our security and our safety in this world, it feels like we have to pretend to be someone we're not. It feels like just being ourselves isn't enough. And so we thank you for the security that Jesus Christ offers us. Thank you for the life, that full, rich life that Jesus promises us now and which we can enjoy for all time. Thank you that Jesus never lets us go, that we're secure in his grip. Help us to seek you for that security and to rest in it to rest in your promises. And I pray, Father, for anyone hearing this that stands outside of those promises. It's not of your sheep. I pray that you would draw them near. Help them to hear. Help them to get past the preconceptions that would keep them from you. Help them to seek you for the security that you offer. And as they hear, as they know you, as they follow you, may you lead them into life and fullness of pasture. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope this message has helped you to see the eternal security that Jesus offers his sheep. If you have questions or need help in taking the next step, then send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.